hello and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. I'm going to talk about the cruciformed life today. That's not a word that you might not be familiar with, with, but in fact, it was about 2008 that I heard that word for the first time. Someone had actually wrote a book about it. And crusa means cross, formed or shaped, the cross-shaped life. Now, that we would, we would understand better. But I wanted to share that word with you. And... Uh, because it's kind of, I thought I kind of like that word, cruciformed, how the cross has shaped our lives. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place. Father, we all have needs this morning, and you're the answer to all these needs. By your Holy Spirit, minister to us, and we just commit this service into your hands. Hide me behind the cross. And use me, O oh Lord, to bring glory to your name. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I'm taking the text in 1 Peter 2.24. And re- I'll be reading from the New King James Version today. And it says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. That last line, by whose stripes you are healed, he's referring to the last verse of Isaiah, uh, the last line in Isaiah 53, uh, verse 5. And as Peter's writing this, he's talking about how Christ gave his life on Calvary's cross. But he didn't stay dead. Resurrection changed everything, didn't it? Changed it at all. That we, having died to sins, in other words, when we, when we were born again, when we were redeemed, however you want to say that, uh, might be life for righteousness. And that righteousness is not our righteousness. It refer, reminds me of a verse I quote a lot, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He became sin for us, that we could become the righteousness of God in him. It's his righteousness. So this morning I asked the question, have you made the exchange? If you haven't made the exchange, I encourage you to do so. Today is the day of salvation, and now is the accepted time. The Bible keeps it all present tense. Why is that? That's a now. It's imperative to do. Why? Because we're going to have no guarantee of tomorrow. Tomorrow could be eternity for some of us. We don't know. So the cruciformed life is cross-shaped. The cross represents the life, death, and resurrected life of Jesus as he is offered in the gospel. And it's the soul-shaping core of the disciples' existence. It's what changes us. You see, there's a death, burial, and resurrection going on in us too, isn't there? Even in baptism, when we see it baptized, it's the undergoing of the old and coming up the new. The Christ life. Christ in me. Galatians 4.19 says this, Little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Now that's a strange verse, isn't it? But what was going on at the church 
Galatia, that church that Paul had been very active in and helped him to come to Christ, and, and now he's not there, and the Judaizers have come in behind him, and saying all these things are fine and good, but you need to start doing the law and going back and doing those things. You see, it's either grace or it's not. There's no in-between. If you're, if you're basing everything on your good works, then you're not trusting in the grace of God. And if you're trusting in the grace of God, then you understand it's got nothing to do with your good works. We have nothing to offer. But he's talking about as giving birth, like a woman in labor. They have to birth again, bring them back again, until Christ is formed in you. And so, that word formed, morpho, find that Strong's Concordance number 3445, it means to form. Morpho or morphe is related now and refers to an eternal change in character. We understand that word metamorphosis, uh, that's part of that same word. It's the idea of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. A metamorphosis takes place. They change from the caterpillar to the butterfly. But it's got to do more than just an outward change from a caterpillar to a butterfly, that idea. And what it's referring to, it speaks of a change of character. Becoming conformed to the character of Christ in actuality. You see, we serve a living Lord. He's very much alive today, church. Sometimes I think we don't realize it enough. Huh? The Bible says where two or three are gathered, he's here in our midst, and he is here in our midst. That's why we pray and ask, Lord, you minister as only you can. It's all him. What he does in the person of the Holy Spirit as he, he works in all of us. But this idea of this change being conformed to the character of Christ in actuality is becoming more and more like Jesus. And that's what John the Baptist, remember what he had to say? Well, first of all, he didn't want to baptize Jesus. He said, what do you mean? I'm going to baptize you. You need to be baptizing me. And then he said this, that I become less of me and more of him. And that's what this whole process is. The sanctification, it's a progressive sanctification. In other words, we're changing. We're changing as we're growing in his grace and knowledge. And hopefully we're changing on a daily basis. You know, sometimes we don't do the things that we should do as we yield ourselves. Our prayer lives suffer. And sometimes because of that, we're not formed correctly, we're deformed. There's many people that the only time they ever read this thing is on Sunday mornings in church. And that's malformed. It's bad. Some are unformed. And so that's what was going on in Galatia. And that's why Paul says, I'm going to struggle with you. Or I'm going to do this until Christ is formed in you. You don't give up. We don't stop. We keep going. Sometimes 
it's hard. Especially the time period that we live in and all that's going on. The last couple of years haven't been easy. But remember, what we get caught off guard with, God's not caught off guard at all. Huh? No one, he didn't get spiked, oh no, well, we got to do a coronavirus. No. We may think like that. But not the Lord. How many people here, on a show of hands, how many people here has had it or has known someone that's had it? Has someone known people that's passed on? Now look, keep them up. Look around. Look at the hands that's up in this room. A lot of hands. Do you realize that in every one of those circumstances, there are people in need, there are people who are struggling with this, and if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you raise your hand, you may be the person that God wants to use to bring change into that circle. Some way it's going to happen. If ever a time period the church needs to be up and about God's business, that's now. There's so much hurt and pain going on. And we hold the answer. Christ is the answer to it all. I got a story I'm going to share with you. Some of you know this story. Some of you have lived with me in this story. For others, it may be the first time you hear, hear this story, but it's so applicable I had to share it again. A few years back, and it's been more than several, huh? you, get, you get my age, they start flying by. I have a theory about this. When you're a little kid, a year seemed like forever, didn't it? Huh? Seems like forever. You're five or six, a year ago, it seemed like forever. Because you're only five. So one year is one-fifth of the total of your whole life. You get where I'm at, it's one-seventy-second. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? That's why they fly by. <laughs> but anyway, that's not... Had the privilege of, you know, I was teaching a class, and Jennifer Gillespie and her family was coming to the church then. Some of you would know who I'm talking about. And it was her last Sunday here, and she came up to me and said, Pastor Ron, can you go see my ex-husband, Patrick? He's in the hospital. And he's dying. His kidneys aren't working. His liver isn't functioning. He's drank and drugged himself to death's door. And I said, sure, I'll go see him. And he was in Boswell Hospital. She said, well, I took the kids down there yesterday. We said our goodbyes, and I'm, taking, I'm leaving after today, taking my children and going home to my mother in Tennessee just to get away from this, this whole situation. And so I said, I'll go see him. So I go into the hospital room, and I walk into that room, and I said, and, it, and what f shocked me the most was how young he was, all on these two, how he was all rigged up, and, and then knowing that they said he's dying. And I just thought, whoa. And I said, Patrick, you don't know who I am, but your ex-wife, Jennifer, asked if I'd come see you. He stopped me right there. He said, okay, well, you've seen me, so you can leave now. 
and not knowing them, and wanted to respect the situation, I said, okay, I left. And on the way out the door, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, said, but you're coming back tomorrow. <laughs> so I said, okay. So I go that next day, and I'm talking with him. I begin sharing Christ with him, and he just get angry. Why are you saying surrender my life to Jesus Christ? Didn't they tell you I'm dying? The doctors have told me get my house in order. I'm on death's door. I'm dying. I have no life to give to Christ. And I thought, Lord, give me the words. You speak. And I said this, then let me rephrase this. Are you willing to surrender whatever time you have left? To Jesus Christ. And he broke and began to cry like a baby. And I had the privilege of leading him to Christ that day. The next day I went back to see him and there was a great stir going on up there. His kidneys are now functioning. His liver is now functioning. The man who was at death's door, God brought a change. He chose to heal him, change him. And it wasn't easy dealing with Patrick. He still had these addictions to deal with. And up and it was like a roller coaster ride we went on. And there was times I'd say, oh, Lord, help us. And yet he gave his life to Christ. You see, life can get messy. And so sometimes we pull back because we just don't like to get involved in messy. And there's some of you in this church that stood by me and got involved in Patrick's life to help me out because I was dealing with how hard that was at times for me. But he grew the grace and knowledge. He changed his life. He finally got in order and he got things situated. He made amends with his children and began to have relationship with them again. Life changed. And then last year, Patrick did go home to be with the Lord. And I think, what would have happened if I just would have told Jennifer, no, I'm just too busy. I just, you know, I just can't do that. You see, God wants us to get involved, church. And it's not the big things. I didn't do anything that great. I just went in and shared with them. And then God stepped in. He brought the change. He brought the deliverance. And all along, even though through this ride, he always knew that even though things would get mad, he always knew that Pastor Ron was there for him. He knew I loved him and cared for him. And you see, that's what God wants to do and use you, every last one of you in this room, to be able to do that same thing in your sphere of influence, to be able to touch into people's lives. There's so many hurting people today that need the answer, and we have the answer. Lord, motivate us to get outside these four walls and touch this community for Jesus Christ. And it's not that hard. We need more cruciform churches. Or cross-shaped churches. Churches that are not afraid to preach the gospel. Churches that are not afraid to share the love of Christ. Do you know there's some churches that went through their hymnals and took out all the songs that had anything to do with blood? 
Did you know that? That's true. Took them out. They were asked why you took these songs out of the hymnals. They said, it's slaughterhouse religion. Thank God for slaughterhouse religion. Without the blood, we have nothing. It was the blood of Jesus Christ that washed away my sins, your sins. And if you're here today and you do not know Jesus, you're not here by mere chance. He had you here for a purpose and a reason and the opportunity to come to know him. And there are some of you that just say, well, I believe in him. I'm not asking if you believe in him. I want to know, do you know him? There's a big difference. When I talk about cruciform churches, I'm not talking about buildings, cathedrals. I'm talking about living communities of disciples being shaped by the cross into the shape of the cross for the glory of God. Oh, that's what we need. When your life takes on the shape of the cross, you begin to live the vertical life of loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you begin to love the horizontal life of loving your neighbor as yourself. That's found in Matthew 22, 36 through 40. That's what the Lord wants. Our best hope is to cooperate with the architect. And we say, well, who are you talking about, the architect? I'm talking about Jesus. He's the architect of all of this. He put this together. He said this. He promised he would build his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There is nothing this world can't throw at us. They might throw some things at us, and it may seem difficult. Don't wring your hands and give up, but look up because it, Jesus established this work. Jesus established his, his church, and he has told us and promised us that the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. That's a powerful thing. That's a hallelujah moment, church. You see, the cruciform life is a way of being alive and doing life in the place that God has planted you. That's where we are now. Here in Peoria, in the neighborhood that you live. Do you know that you might be the only Christian in that area and that you have the opportunity to make change? We need to reach out. I have a neighbor that lives across the street that we find, we begin, God opened up the door to begin to talk to her. Begin to share things with her. And she's hesitant. But she had a few things that happened, and she came across and rang the doorbell. Her name's Tina. I said, Tina, how are you? I'm good. She says, will you pray for me? I'm having this problem. Pray for me. So, church, I want you to pray for Tina, that God gives me an opportunity even more so be able to reach into that house for Jesus Christ. You see, the cruciform life is a day-in, day-out lifestyle of gospel, driven love for God and others. It's every day. It's not something we just do on Sunday. 
It's every single day. The cruciform life is faith in Jesus Christ expressing itself through love for God and others. That's powerful. The cross-shaped life is we put our faith in Christ, expressing itself through love for God and others. Every one of us are here because somebody loved us enough to share the gospel with us. Huh? For some it's family, for some it's not. For some it's something. Every one of us have a story, a story to be told. How God wants to take your story and use it. That you might be a vehicle to be able to tell your story and he would be able to speak through you to reach into someone's life and you have the privilege of leading them to Christ. Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Now, yes, the, the Jews were told to circumcise their mouths. And there's a whole reason, there's a whole message why. But we're not under law anymore. We're under grace. The law is the foundation. Yes, there's great things there, but we are under the grace of God. It isn't based on what, whether we do or don't do. It's based on what Jesus Christ did in our behalf. And the same thing is, as we take up our cross and follow him, he has a cross for us to bear. See, we like the idea that he went and paid the sin, that he went on the cross, he did all those things for us, and he absolutely did, and I'm thankful. Because we couldn't do it for ourselves. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. But then he tells us to take up our cross. He's given us opportunity. He's given us, every one of us are different. Every one of us has a story. Every one of us has a cross to bear. And he tells us to take it up and follow him. Faith working through love. No matter where we are in our various spheres of influence, we live a life that shows that love is faith's expression. I want you to notice on the, that I bolded the L, the I, the F, and the E. When we let love, what love is faith's expression, when we love that kind of love go through us, that is life. Do you see that? L-I-F-E. That is our life. That's what he's called us to do. It's not easy, but it's not as hard as we make it to be. And another story that I'm thinking about that I've been telling today about a Muslim man by the name of Parvis Ashuri. I came into contact with him. It was, we were young. I was about Pastor Gregory's age in my mid to late 20s. And we were living in a fourplex that my father-in-law owned, and he was giving us a little reduced rent. And I played property management for collecting rent and taking care of that building. And it was, it was a good thing at the time, raising babies, that, that all that, those dollars helped. The Muslim family moved in, and he has wife, Ellen. She was American. And he, he was from Iran. 
His daddy worked for the Shah of Iran. Some of you old enough to understand the story I'm going to tell. He worked for the Shah of Iran, and the Shah was overthrown, and they all had to get out of the country because the new regime that was taken over it would have destroyed and killed them all. So they were now in America, and he was renting an apartment from us. And so, as we get to know him, Parvis, I had the opportunity to share Christ with him. Well, he, he didn't want to hear that right off the bat. He got mad at me. No, I don't want to talk to you. But we began a conversation that went for one for a while that he'd come, we'd talk, he'd get mad and go away. Then he'd come back and ask some more questions. We'd talk, he'd get mad and he'd go away. Around and around this thing was going. And so... At that time period, we had two little kids, so my wife wasn't working. She decided she wanted to take in a child or two to help bring some money in. And so she was talking to Ellen, which was Parvis's wife, and she said, oh, I'll gladly let you take care of Reza. And his little boy is about four or five, and you can take care of Reza. And how convenient that will be is right here in the building. I just got to bring him upstairs, and then, and then we just go, about, go to work and come back, and you're all right here. And so I'm dealing with Parvis. Linda's teaching Reza. She's got the Christian coloring book out and having him talk, color these pictures. And she's telling him about Jesus and she's doing all this stuff. Linda was very good at that stuff. Um, to this day, she don't do it anymore. You know, but you remember back in the day when they used to do the flannel boards, the flannel graphs? Linda would captivate me. I'd sit there just like the kids as she's doing all that stuff on that board. Um, she just was amazing at it. And so, and then she'd say, take this home to your mom and dad. Yeah. And so, my, Parvis is back knocking on my door. He's saying, no, you can't do that with him. No more of this Christian stuff in the coloring books. No. I says, well, don't bring him back anymore then. And Ellen took to him and said, Parvis, shut up. She loved the convenience of him, us being right there. And so that wasn't come up anymore, and on it continued. And finally, and I don't even know to this day exactly what I said. See, it's the Lord's work. We say the stuff that we do, and then the Lord takes those words, and then he uses it to speak back to them. I don't know if you realize it or not, but that goes on a lot. And so I was sharing. He understood Moses. He believed in Moses. So I took Moses and shared him as a type of Christ and went through that whole thing with him. Away he went. But he came back like a week later. I thought, whoa, this is getting better. Not months. And he says, you remember what we talked about Moses? Yes. He says, being a type of Christ, yes. He says, I want to know your Jesus. I had the privilege of leaving Parvis to Jesus Christ. And that man came alive for the Lord. And for him to become a Christian, his whole family declared him dead. And there was a lot for him to give up when he came to Christ. And I won't draw this out telling this story, but I'm going to tell you that as we have these opportunities, 
We just got to do our part. God does the rest. There's no way I could ever convince Parvis about Christ who he is, but the Lord did through the words we spoke. And the last one, when I was coming here, I took a church here in 1978 was my, when I left California pastor and came over and took a church here. And we've been here ever since. And I'll just show you what the Lord had done through his life. Through that. And some years that went by. And the last I heard of Parvis in 1978, when I was coming over here, that he took his first pastorate in Norwalk, California. Whew. From me having arguments at the door with Parvis, him arguing and you know, me talking. And Linda doing coloring stories for the kids. And God used it. And we watched a transformation take place. It was unbelievable. It's not about the big and glorious things we do. It's about just being real and doing the things we should be doing. Sharing our faith. Don't hold back, church. They might be the very words that you're saying. that the Holy Spirit will use to speak to them to bring them to Christ. You got time for one more story? Then we'll go on. It just came to mind about Peter. This, I was pastoring a church when I came here. I pastored over. I took, a, I took a church in Phoenix. It was, it was there for several, several years. I also pastored, pastored in Surprise. And we was in the old neighborhood of Surprise. It was just a little more of a little ghetto town alongside Grand Avenue on both sides. And the small little church that I was pastoring there, and Peter, a young Spanish fellow, and his family were coming to the church. And he was about 16, 17. And he's running around and is, you know, chasing girls. And his parents came to me distraught, saying, we just, he just won't listen to us. We don't, I said, I don't know if I can help, but I'll try. And so they brought Peter up to me, and I, I'm not going to tell you what I said, but I talked very straightforward with that young man. And he just, he, he listened. Out the door he went. And you didn't see him for, the, they moved away, and I didn't see him for a while. About a year went by. Peter came back with his family, and it was a little church. So his hand goes up. Pastor Ron, can I say something? I said, sure, Peter. He says, do you remember the words you told me when we were in our talk? I said, oh, Lord Jesus, don't let him say those things. Because <laughs> I talked to him pretty straightforward. But what I found out, he says, every time I try to do what I was doing, those words of yours would ring in my head. See how the Lord takes things? And he finally surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And the last that I heard of that young man, because he was Spanish, he knew the language. He's down in South America being a missionary, telling them about Jesus Christ. It's not these huge things we do. It's just being available. And being willing 
to open our mouths and say the words, don't be afraid. What are we afraid of when the gates of hell shall not prevail against us? What are we afraid of? You see, the cruciform life is the life of Jesus taking shape in us. It becomes less and less of us and more and more of Jesus. Do you know there's coming a day that we're going to be just like him? So that's what the book of John says in John's writing. He says this, I don't understand all this, but I do know this one thing. We shall be like him. That's a hallelujah moment. Colossians 1.27 says, To them God willed to make known what the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And how's that mystery getting out? Through the church. God's people. Which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. You have Christ in you, in the person of the Holy Spirit. Let him, let him come out. Let him work through you. Be willing to die into yourself and let him live through you. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hallelujah. Do you realize that this is Paul speaking to the Galatians and trying to get, turn, turn all that around? He said, I've been crucified with Christ. In other words, he was dying out to self. He was dying to his wishes. He was dying to what he wanted. He was dying to those things. And he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. He also said in other places that I die daily. Apostle Paul said, I die daily. In other words, I take this every single... See, if we don't die daily, the flesh comes back. Because that's who we still are. We're still in this thing. We got, there's a battle there, yes. But it's a battle you can win through Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice this. When we're talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, do you realize that every time you die on a daily basis and then you, that's Christ living in you, you have a death and resurrection going on in you every single day? Think about that. Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a message to be told, church. Each disciple, as she or he became more and more conformed to the image of Christ, will live as a son and love as a servant in his or her personal sphere of influence in increasing measures. Now, the idea of being a servant, we don't like that idea so much. That means you've got to get involved, don't you? And yes, it can get messy. Oh, there's times with Patrick, I just wanted to throw up my hands, but the Lord wouldn't let me. Huh? So the work had to continue on until Christ was formed in him. And then after that, it didn't matter, see? We all have that, all this going on in all of our lives, in all of our spheres of influence. Just take the opportunity. I have one I little, you know, I always don't talk about, I said, throw this stuff out like try to get you to do what I do but not, but this one maybe I'm going to, I'm going to give you something to think about how many of you go out and eat at restaurants there's a lot of hands 
Well, if you haven't been praying over your food, you should be. And here's something I started doing. I said, Lord, just put it on in my heart of a, a way. And what I have done, it's amazing some of the responses that we've gotten. I ain't going to take the time to tell all these responses, but it's amazing. When their waiter or waitress comes, I say to them, I get them back to the table. I said, we're getting ready to pray over our food. Is there anything that we can pray for you about? I've had people just start crying. Waitresses melt. My son or daughter has cancer and all these things. And one lady, we, we prayed for him. And we had our prayer. We prayed for this person. And after the meal was over, he came back and said, thank you. She says, I hid around the curtain because I wanted to see if you'd really do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what she told me. I wanted to see if you'd really do it. And we did. She says, your prayer was beautiful. Thank you. See, the rest is up to God. You don't know what he'll do with that. But just these little things. There's a verse in the Bible in a song about this same thing. It says this. If just a cup of water I place within your hand, then just a cup of water is all that I demand. He's not going to call you to do anything more than he hasn't given you the ability to do. And if, he, if you get yourself in that situation, in my life, I've, I've seen that's when he kicks in. When you can't, he can you see, when I'm weak, he's strong. That's good stuff. Next, 2 Corinthians 3, 17, 18 says, Now the Lord, the Lord's the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord, there is liberty. Hmm? If ever a time there is liberty needed in America, it's now. With all that's going on, Huh? Would you agree with that, church? We need liberty. And liberty comes from the Lord Jesus. Oh, we need to lift him up to the world around us. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed. We're being changed. The, that Progressive sanctification that's taking place. We're being transformed into the same image. What? The image of Christ. From glory to glory to glory. He's moving us forward and he brings his glory in our lives. And he says, take us up to the next step. And we do it again. We do it again. We do it again. From glory to glory to glory. Just as the spirit of the Lord. That's what he's doing in us. And he, the more we become like Jesus, we just become, see, it's not, every one of you have a, a, the ability to be able to have ministry around your sphere of influence. You know, there's people that's in your sphere of influence that I'll never know. Then there's people in my sphere of influence that you'll never know. And God wants us to reach them. Like Jesus the cruciformed disciple will live constant awareness and practice of his or her role as bondservant by being emptied for the sake of others to the glory of God. Is that giving up some things? Yes. But if we're really becoming who we're supposed to be in Jesus Christ 
And God has a work for us. And God has a cross for us to pick up and carry. And he wants to use that as you pick up that cross and use you to transform the lives of others. As that vehicle to work through. You realize when we get to heaven, that's going to be the only thing that matters. It's not going to be matter how, many, how much money you had in the bank or how much stuff we had. What's going to be matter is the souls of the people that stand there and say, thank you for sharing Christ. That's your reward. That's powerful. Lord, teach us to be up and about your business. Second Corinthians. 5, 14, and 15 says, For the love of Christ compels us. That should be our motivating force. Not because Pastor Ron said so or we said so. The love of Christ compels us, what? To share him with others. Because we judge that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves. There it is. But for him who died for them. And rose again. It's worth it, church. One more verse and I'm going to close. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That is the cruciform, the Christ-shaped life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your life. We thank you for the transformation that you're making in all of our lives. Give us a holy boldness and the love of God and the love of others that we would speak up. Put a fire in our bellies, Lord, that we cannot hold back what we have to share. May we see the opportunities you give us. And may we step up and take them in Jesus' name. Again, we thank you, Father, for this day. We thank you for this loving church. Use us, Lord, to bring glory to your name. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.